So welcome back to XR at Work. I'm Scott. And I'm Dane. And today, to, oh, yeah, go ahead. Tell us yeah, what we're so, going to talk about today. Sounds good. Last episode, we talked a little bit about where a good place to start is for someone who's looking to uh, delve into the XR space. One of the technologies that we mentioned was remote assist um, and how that can help companies to uh, better utilize their resources globally, uh, connect people where you know, travel may be restricted, et cetera. Uh, so today we're gonna kind of be taking a deep dive into remote assist to get an understanding of uh, how it's affected us in our careers and the companies that we work for um, and how we think, you know, it, it could be better or what we do like about it as it is right now. So Scott, uh, do you wanna kick us off with how you guys use remote assist currently? Yeah, I mean, you know, so uh, again, and we'll, we'll link to, to the, the previous episode where we said, where I said this initially, but I'll say it again. I, I think remote and, and I, it, it goes by a lot of names, right? You'll hear remote assist, remote expert. Um, since remote assist is the name of a vendor's product, I try to say remote expert, but either way, Fair right? Enough. So My bad, sorry. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> uh, We're not sponsored by that big uh, software company. So uh, we'll see how much love we give them. But um, we, um, you know, when I set out three years ago in my job uh, with these 300 factories, uh, I purposely planned to set remote expert as the kind of the initial technology to roll out. And I did this for a couple of reasons. One is because it's, it's relatively simple. It's very valuable, right? And we'll talk about that today. And it also gets you into factories or into construction sites or, or onto the, the, into the warehouses in a way that you start to introduce simple technology to people. You, you can use standard devices, handhelds that they already have, and it, you start to build some rapport. You also identify where you maybe have gaps in your Wi-Fi coverage, right? Because of all the stuff that we, I say this all the time, of all the stuff that we do in XR within my group for my employer, there's only one thing that has to have a constant, solid, stable internet connection to operate, and that's remote expert, right? Everything else can be cached offline for the most part. Yeah, well, that, no, that's an interesting point because a lot of times industrial you know, Wi-Fi networks are designed mm -hmm. for IoT sensors and uh, other you know, systems where it's periodically pinging and sending yeah. data. Yeah. And so the bandwidth is not designed for 40 people to be in you know, 4K video walking right. around in a facility. And so I think that's an interesting uh, constraint that we have from the industrial side is, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't mean to pick on any, you know, headset, but being able to pick something up and use it in a low bandwidth environment is really mm. important. Yeah. And that's a, that's something that like a consumer user wouldn't, you know, think twice about, right? Because everybody's right. Wi-Fi at home is streaming Netflix and whatever else. Well, everyone at home doesn't live in the middle of nowhere in a concrete wall factory with a bunch of of electronics running around them right so they're they're in metropolitan areas with yep. wood walls and good signal yeah the, not, not the world that you and i live in right yeah well so let me let me ask you a question um do you consider teams on a phone to be remote assist <laughs> So, man, we've gone round and round about this, right? So yeah, thanks, we have for, too. thanks for lobbing that one up, right? So here's what I get all the time. So let me let me tell you the big thing that I get, right? When Sometimes when I explain how a remote expert call works, right? 
mm-hmm. is I get people that go, well, I just do FaceTime, right? So I you get know, that. I've gotten that a lot, right? And so I have, I have a standard answer for that. Sometimes they care, sometimes they don't, right? Um, yep. So, uh, and we'll, we'll, I'll get into Teams in a second, I promise, right? So let me address mm-hmm. the, the FaceTime thing. Let me give you my thoughts on this, right? Yep. So I say to factory workers, yes, you can do FaceTime. You can use your phone. You can FaceTime someone else that you know that has an iPhone, and you guys can do FaceTime calls, right? Now, number one, right? Every device doesn't have FaceTime capabilities on it. Yep. Number two, Apple doesn't give two rips about our enterprise use of their product. If we have questions or issues or if there's security concerns or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. who are you going to call, right? You're not yep. going to call you know, Apple and care, right? The mm-hmm. other thing is that uh, we actually have security um, audits in place. Any device that goes on a managed, any, any device that goes on a company Wi-Fi running applications has to be managed by our company. And yep. you pulling out your personal cell phone using your personal Apple ID to do FaceTime calls mm-hmm. is a security breach in our company. So I can fall back on that a lot. Yeah, well, so I was going to say that's a big challenge that we have as well as, um, you know, it's not so much the ability to share video with somebody that's yeah. really helpful about remote assist. It's the fact that it's in an industrialized uh containerized you know application that makes it really important right mm-hmm. like it's been through like SOC 2 you know security mm-hmm. or you know ISO, what is it ISO 27001 or whatever yeah like these types of audits are really important in the industrial space and so I do think and, and I, I will say that you know we've done some testing with like hey what if we did this like would it work but if you come to if you're like trying to scale something for instance the security consideration is really, really important. Yeah. And I think that's a big, big piece of this. So hey, but what about you... what about annotations, right? Can you do annotations yep. in FaceTime? Yeah, no. So you're exactly right. So there you go. Actually, I have a question. Well, so yeah. let's let's break We're gonna that go down. to the Teams thing eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Let's break that down for a second. So annotations for us, which um, if if you haven't ever tried uh, a remote assist platform the annotations are the ability for uh, the person that you're calling so the person sitting at a computer or on their phone to be able to draw over the top of the person's vision that's out in the field so for instance if um, in our case if you walk up to a cabinet of you know of uh, breakers for instance and you need to show somebody which breaker it is instead of trying to tell them you know it's on it's three rows over and then it's like 14 down or something like that you can just have them pause and then you can actually draw an arrow or circle or you know do whatever on that person's field of view makes it really easy for them to find you know things that they're looking for and it just adds context to the conversation one thing i wanted to ask you about though is um, with your experience with these types of applications what do you think about spatially registered annotations versus like pictures where you annotate it and then it goes to you know their perspective because i'll tell you my go ahead opinion real quick um the challenge that we've run into with the kind of spatially anchored ones is that it looks great if they draw it like this but you take a step to the side and it's (laughs) completely off like you can't Right. Yeah, you can't see or understand what that person's talking about so i'm interested in your perspective there you know a lot of the same a lot of the same points that you're making dane right so um spatial annotations are great uh if you uh want to 
have someone show you what to do. You want to do it, and then you want to come back, or you go down the line. You need to come back. And it's mm -hmm. a good reference point. Um, but spatial annotations, right, aren't going to work if you try to use that software, right? So spatial annotations are only going to work on devices that have spatial abilities on it, right? Which yep. we know are mixed reality headsets mm -hmm. and handhelds, right? Because mm -hmm. there are certain monocular head-mounted yep. devices for the factory that are not spatial. And mm -hmm. so what you get on there is you get non-spatial annotations, right? Like, like you were saying, Dane, which mm -hmm. is the expert snaps a picture, draws on it, and then gives you the picture in your field yep. of view, and you can see it. I think it's, it's different strokes for different folks. It's different strokes for different use cases. And mm -hmm. we have some guys in factories that prefer spatial, and some mm -hmm. that are like, no, I really like the images because that way um, it looks the same and I can reuse that image, right? In other conversations mm -hmm. or in Gata workflows or something. Um, so we see both and I really mm -hmm. don't have a preference to be honest with you. It's all over the board. So, so here's, my, here's my thoughts on that. I think that the promise of spatial notation is really uh, strong. I don't think that the technology from a tracking perspective is there yet. And so my personal preference for the things that we're working on is having it drawn over a photo and then sent mm -hmm, to somebody. Mm -hmm. It's not as sexy, right? But the it's thing fair. is it's the same perspective every single time. Yeah. And I also think that if you're creating like documentation off of that, you can always go back and reference it there and know you what go. you're talking about. Whereas you can reuse facial, those assets. Yeah. yeah. So I think my opinion if i was a remote assist or sorry not remote assist remote <laughs> expert uh you know uh software company i would be focused on doing both and yeah. being able to choose one or the other because to yeah. your point like there are use cases where one's important over the other but i think um despite not being as exciting to show people it's a lot more practical in most cases to just annotate over the phone it's a good tangent to go off on though when you're talking about remote expert right it comes up all the time I will yep. say, right, so what makes, back to the Teams thing, right, what makes mm -hmm. remote expert remote expert, right, because people will say, well, I use FaceTime, well, I use Teams, and yes, you yep. can, right, we, we, there's nothing that's stopping my factory workers from using a device in the factory, doing a Teams call, and then just, mm -hmm. you know, whatever you got to do with your right. camera, right, that kind of stuff, you know, because you, mm -hmm. in Teams, you don't get to go, so anyway, do that right. kind of stuff. Do you have to have annotations? Because typically the difference between a conferencing app like mm -hmm. Zoom or or or, or uh, Google Meet or or Teams right. and remote expert AR platform, right, app application, mm -hmm. it, are those annotations. So if annotations are a requirement to do remote expert, mm -hmm. then, yeah, Teams isn't going to work, right? Yeah. You know, I, I tell people all the time. Use Teams if you want. It's a company-approved common platform. We all have it, all 50,000 mm -hmm. employees or whatever. But if you need to do that um, on your head yep. or if you need annotations, mm -hmm. we have another solution <coughs> that we do that uses, partially uses Teams. I'll, I'm happy to get into, but, I mean, what do you yeah. think? Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, you know, Teams will make its way onto, in my opinion, and I have no insert tighter, you know, uh, information or anything like that. This is just Dane hypothesizing, but I think eventually 
um, teams will make its way into a lot of different things, right? Like that's kind of the goal of Microsoft mm -hmm. is to be an infrastructure mm -hmm. you know, piece. Um, I think the, the next question though is navigation within the app while you have a headset on. Because like, you know, Teams is not designed to be an augmented reality, you know, uh, headset application. It's mm -hmm. designed to be something that you push buttons on your phone or you, you know, access through your computer. And so if you think about like the UI of how you use a headset, it it's it's very difficult to use like a standard interface in yeah. a headset, right? Yeah. And so I think, you know, the the team's tenants are coming to other headsets, you know, like for instance, like uh, like the realware or Android devices, yeah. you know, for instance. Yeah. Um, I just don't think the user interface is quite there yet to where it's easy to you know, navigate around and like, you know, if you have a, you know, um, an accent or something navigating around in a, in a voice recognition type of interface, as opposed yeah. to like a gaze based, you know, interface. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's, there's just kind of interesting challenges. The thing that's nice about the remote expert dedicated applications is that they're designed to be on the headset first, and then everybody's designed for phones and stuff. So you can kind of back into yeah. that makes it a little bit easier. Too. So here's why I agree with you, right? Is because the reason why Teams is not on this device, right? Mm -hmm. Is because Microsoft realized that they needed to do a different application that uses different user inputs than Teams. Yep. So they created, of course, and not why they created, but they have Dynamics Remote Assist, right? Which we, mm -hmm. you know, we do a lot of Dynamics Remote Assist on the HL2, in the mm -hmm. factory, the guy back at home or in the office or another facility on his laptop uses Teams and they can communicate. But the reason why it's not Teams on both is because exactly what you're saying, Teams isn't, teams isn't going to work there and it, Teams is not a remote assist platform. Yeah, it's not designed for that. Right, yeah, exactly. Right. Well, yeah. and it's funny too, because even though you can get a Teams app on your phone, they still make remote assist applications for your phone as well. You can use remote assist on your phone because it has annotations on it. Yeah, yep, for the context of the annotations and some of the other things. So we do a lot of bringing up bad mouth and stuff or, you know, here's <laughs> obstacles or pitfalls. But let's talk about, I mean, what are the advantages and why, why is remote expert or remote assist so popular and bringing, you know, how is it bringing value to the business, right? I mean, like I know for us, it has saved and or made us millions of dollars, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not going to say exact amount, but it absolutely, for what we pay for it and mm -hmm. for the training and the devices, it makes an, and or saves us a lot of money. What about you guys? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think, <laughs> uh, I don't know if you, if your experience is the same, Scott, so, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but my experience was we were looking at remote assist for, you know, a couple of years, mm -hmm. you know, like let's say 2017 to 2019. And like, we had some interesting use cases and, you know, people were kind of excited about it because you put on a headset and it's kind of Iron Man-ish, right? Yeah. But up until that point, it wasn't like a huge use case for us. And then, you know, COVID hits and. Oh like, yeah. That, <laughs> that's a, you know. Everybody wanted for... to talk to Scott when, when COVID hit. Yeah, yep, exactly. And so I, I Obviously, COVID's not been, it, it's a horrible thing, right? Like, I, I don't want to, 
but it's been very beneficial to the space and the fact that I think it made us recognize that we have to be able to do work remotely, yeah. like, and it's not even an option anymore. Right. And so um, that's where a lot of the remote assist um, functionality that we use kind of uh, got really got adopted. Yeah. And we started doing stuff like, uh, um, like inventory audits remotely. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so instead of flying, yeah, instead of flying like five or six people to a facility and having you know, our accountants walk around with the folks who are yeah. you know, in, in charge of the inventory, um, the person who's in charge of the inventory puts on a headset and then you remotely kind of bring your friends along, right? And along that process, the thing that was interesting to me was like, obviously removing the travel is, is an, like, it's an impactful thing, right? Sure. It's expensive to travel. Yeah. But the other part of it was we were actually able to more efficiently do the job than we have been in the past. Because in the past, you had to get six people in a golf cart and drive them around site and everybody had lunch and needs bathroom breaks (laughs) and all these different things, right? Well, now, like, you could have one person in accounting schedule six different meetings for an hour, and they they could do six different sites in a day as opposed to one site, you know, in several days. Right. And so the our kind of perspective on the efficiency of resources as a result of remote assist I think mm-hmm. is really the impactful piece it's not so much that like you remove travel because tra- you know travel is expensive yeah. it's more of like how do you uh, look at the process that you have as a result of using remote assist mm-hmm. and change it you know so that it's more efficient and so you know like we we would have like uh, like if if we were to fly somebody there it would take them a day to get there you know, like the next day they would do the audit and it would be like a, you know, 12 to 15 hour day, depending on how long it takes. And then, you know, the next day they'd spend traveling back. So you had like three days embedded in this process. And with the remote assist or the remote expert stuff, we would schedule time. It would take like three or four hours to do the audit and then you're done. No travel mm-hmm. on the front or back end. Mm-hmm. It's about a third of the time to actually do the audit. And so, you know, if you look at the embedded time in that kind of situation, like it's pretty incredible the amount of reduction you can have just by, you know, sharing video from somebody's headset. We've had a lot of conversations about hard versus soft value realizations, right? Hard versus soft kind of, and there are some, there's some benefits to remote expert. They're absolutely quantifiable, right? Mm -hmm. When we, when we put remote expert we didn't put remote expert in place and then stop traveling. We had to stop traveling. And so we put remote expert in place, right? Kind of like you guys did. So yep. it could be arguably, arguably it's kind of chicken or the egg sort of thing. But even let's just say when, like we experienced some of this last year, like right now we're in a little bit of a slowdown with the travel because of, of uh, virus flare ups and stuff. But um, when times are good, travel's free. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still save money on travel, right? Yep. Quantifiable benefit. But there's a lot of those intangibles, like you're talking about things that you really can't put a dollar amount to, but you got to tell that story anyway, right? I had to, I've had to do a lot of telling the story of, okay, now that we're back flying again, it doesn't mean we should just abandon remote expert, right? Yep. Um, because yep. it'll still save us some travel time. It's also... I mean, to rattle off a few intangibles, right? You're mm-hmm. home with your family more when you use Remote yep. Expert. Things happen quicker, right? Sometimes things can be more accurate because now you have, in a lot of cases during a Remote Expert call, you have um, 
a video recording of that audit yep. or that situation that you can go back and look at, get different perspectives. You can catch take things photos. You miss. Yeah. yeah, as you go along. Yeah. So there's a I lot of soft benefits that you can't really put hard dollars to for the for the bottom line, uh, you know, mm -hmm. on, on a budget, but it's still mm -hmm. a good thing for the company. Yeah, well, and I think it's interesting too because, like, uh, one of the things that's changed for us is we started by looking at, you know, obviously internal stuff, right? Like, how do we get people who are subject matter experts within our company to talk to, you know, folks who are trying to execute the work, you know, make that relationship, and then you know, work will get done. We've had other situations now where it's like, how do we pull contractors in for yeah. uh, like doing uh, quotations for work that they're getting ready to execute, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So instead of having people from all over the world come to the site for a day that are engineering firms to go and look around, we do like Matterport scans so that they yeah. can look at approximate measurements and all that stuff. And then we have somebody actually physically go out in the field and they can walk around and people say, well, you know, what about that right there? And then they can walk up to it get yeah. whatever information they need, be able to, you know, do that completely remotely. So, you know, again, the, the transition that we went through was only being internal to internal external. The challenge, and this is where I was interested, you know, from your perspective, what your thoughts are, the challenge with external is managing IP um, or managing like, oh, well, do we want you know do we want people to be able to see things that are in the video you know all that stuff do you guys have to deal with that much two thoughts there one is that anyone who we're connecting on a remote expert call to we've already got agreements in place with them anyway right, right. so Fair enough. so it's not like it's some you know hobo yeah, yeah off the street right so we've already got those relationships we're not super worried about that though our friends in the eu sometimes are more cautious uh, about that but the other thing is, is that because of GDPR, or GDPR, what? exactly, yeah, and they just tend uh, to be certainly more cautious about like, I don't want my face on a video. I don't. Who are you showing that to? It's kind of like my twelve-year-old daughter, you know. All of a sudden, <laughs> they're shy. It's like, come on, yeah, you know. But you know that that might be a whole other thing to go GDPR like, episode. GDPR and how you manage global devices. Yeah, yeah, that's tough. So yeah, two things. One is is that I I don't I don't really worry about it for two reasons. One is because we have relationships with the people that are on the other side of the calls. The other thing is that um, if, if it is the case where uh, I'm in a headset and I've got six auditors that are looking through, telling me, all right, let me see this, that sort of stuff. Um, if we want to just be super sure that we don't, because like in our facilities, we have customer products mm -hmm. um, and we don't right. like, uh, some of our customers, we have restrictive covenants with them where we cannot show their products in our factory, mm -hmm. when, especially when those products are not in their final form, right? Because right. it's, a, it's a degradation of their brand, and I get it. Um, what we'll do is we don't even uh, do the live streaming, uh, or what we'll do is we will record the entire thing. Then we'll take that recording and go back in and post-production and blur out faces yeah, and products. And then right. that's what we use, right? And so mm -hmm. um, so that way we know that anything that could be shared or used, uh, we're protected on from faces blurred um, and uh, and products. And I'll tell you, and sometimes the factory manager will say to me, it's kind of funny to say, hey, in that video, can you go like blur out like that trash that we had on the floor and stuff? I'm like, yeah, it's no problem, man. I'll I'll go <laughs> yeah. do a little Photoshop work on it, right, and clean it up. Yep. It's like, hey, that guy didn't have his his P 
PPE on, you know, I'm like, all right, so then I'll go just put like a cartoon hat on the guy, you know, and yeah, and, and, and Mickey Mouse gloves and stuff, you know, <laughs> just to make it fun. But yeah, yeah. no, I don't, I don't worry about it. Do you guys have to think about, um, maybe this is getting too in depth in, in a way from remote expert, but do you guys have to worry about like intrinsically safe uh, type of stuff? No. Because you know, for us, one of the challenges that we have is, you know, we have areas that are intrinsically safe and then we have areas that are not intrinsically safe. And so um, that's one of the considerations when we're doing remote assist too, is like what device uh, can we actually yeah. do it on? And that's like, you know, so like phones and tablets, um, you know, we have cases and stuff that you can put on them, but uh, like if you have a intrinsically safe realware or something, like you know that you can use it anywhere in the facility, right? And so yeah. I think that specification is really important too for people to pay attention when they're buying their first headset. Yeah. Because if if you know that you have intrinsically safe stuff, then like I would probably kind of bite the bullet and and do that anyway because you don't it's know where there. people are going to walk. It costs more money, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. but uh, and, and like I say we don't have it, but. If yeah. people listen to this podcast, uh, take take this piece of advice mm-hmm. that, hey, you should consider that, that most of these devices have an intrinsically safe version of the device. It's going to cost more money, mm-hmm. but you should look into that. Like I mean, Realware's got uh, mm-hmm. a good intrinsically safe version of their HMT1. Just take yep. a look at that. Yeah. But then yeah, there's some the- devices that don't. And if you've got mm-hmm. to have it, well, then, okay, then stay away from that device family. Yep. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And, I, you know, it's a it's a real challenge, too. The, the thing I think that we learned kind of the hard way is that you don't know where people are going to walk either. And so if you put on put a headset on somebody and you have intrinsically safe and non intrinsically safe areas, like either you, every time they go to use it, you have to notify them and say, hey, you can be in this area, yeah. you can't be in this area, or you know, you have to just have the intrinsically safe version. Yeah. And so I think that's a challenge too, is um, if you go the non-intrinsically safe route, then, you know, in order to be in compliance, you have to make sure that people are aware or they get hot work permits or whatever in order yeah. to, you know, do that that work. So what about other, right? So like intrinsically safe is not an issue for us in our factories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be for some. You say it is in some regards mm-hmm. uh, in, some areas. in, in yep. your factories. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the other thing to note is that every country has a different ah countries you know, uh, intrinsically safe uh, guideline, right? Yeah. So, like you know, China is different than the U.S. and that's different than Europe. And so, generally, though, like for instance, the Realware one, I believe, is also like the blast-proof uh, certification yeah. for China as well. Um, whereas, like, I don't know if that's the case for Hololens, for instance. Yeah. And so, like, I think that's the that's the other piece of this is like you have the technological uh, requirements that you have mm-hmm. to meet, but you also have kind of the physical and environmental requirements that I think are important to consider. And that's what um, we run a, a lot, or the other considerations, right? So we have a yeah. lot of very hot, <laughs> yep, very humid um, mm-hmm. a- environments, right? And noise is a big thing for us, right? So maybe for a lot of people listening, right? So always take a look at these devices, right? If you can do remote expert calls, uh, a standard device, most devices out of the box, right? I'll, I'll say Holland's 2, for example, or Realware, HMT1. They're going to, they're going to, noise canceling is going to work to a certain level. They'll always tell you, oh yeah, you're going to be able to do remote expert calls at, you know, 80, 85 decibels. I've not found it that high, right? We have to start doing, and I'll grab it, to show you guys, right, we have to start pairing 
um, noise canceling over the ear, audio in, audio out devices, right? Yeah, aftershocks or sonetics, right? To, to take that decibel level that you can hear each other on up to, I mean, this device, we can get up, I think 105 is the loudest that we've tested it, but it was like you and I talking right now at 105 decibels, which is, That's you know, amazing. rock concert, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, so you got to uh, think about, you got to think about not just the software and the use case, you got to get into the device, you got to start looking at peripherals. So there's, there's a lot of factors to consider to be able to do effective remote expert calls. And what's interesting too about remote expert, particularly if you're using a device that uh, requires voice uh, commands, yes. is that not only do you have to consider the volume and the mic and all these things, you have to consider like, does somebody have an accent? Yep. Does somebody, you know, have a like a speech impediment or speak differently yeah. in some way yeah. than somebody else? Because like, there's been several times where we'll have people who are from you know, from our uh, facilities in the South and they have like a Southern draw um, and like they may have challenges. With, yeah. yeah. I don't know anybody like that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know anybody's <laughs> but, uh, got a Southern draw. Yeah. But I mean, you know, yeah, they, true. they have challenges too, where it's, you know, uh, the, you know, the way that people speak is important right. when you're giving commands. And so, well, and that's, you got to remember too, right? So we'll go back to the realware, right? Which is, mm -hmm which is an audio only, voice command only app, uh, you know, device and the applications, mm -hmm. you've got to remember or do a what, Tom Brady yeah. cheat sheet, you know, on your forearm of <laughs> yep. what the commands are, right? Because yep. it's not like, you know, like zoom in with the camera. Yep. It's like zoom level five, zoom level three, zoom level one, you know? Yeah. So you have to remember those commands and the commands inside of the apps have are to different. be different than the voice commands for the actual device, right? For the native device. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of things to keep in mind. You got to really look through. My advice would be when you're putting remote expert in place, and and I, I know you feel the same as me, Dane. If anybody wants mm -hmm. to contact us about this, we'll be happy to explain it and walk them through this, but yeah. and let them learn from some of our mistakes. But you got to really walk through what environment that user is going to be in, how they're going to be placing calls, who they're going to yep. be talking to, what's the noise level, what's the heat, humidity, does it have to be intrinsically safe, what kind of features do they want to use in Remote Expert, because we've talked about, like, th there's there's the kind of these, I talked someone through earlier today, there's kind of the top five features that every Remote Expert platform known to man has, right, and there's hundreds of them out there, but then there's ones that will operate in super low bandwidth, or yep. have bandwidth throttling, there's all kinds of additional features that, yeah, like, LibreStream or something. LibreStream like does a great job with low bandwidth. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But well, it, you know, you give up some other things, right? It's also yep. a very complex user interface, right? So yep. if you're gonna go drive a Ferrari, there's gonna be a lot of controls on that dash, right? You gotta yep. know how to operate. Yeah, exactly. Well, and even like the, you know, to your point, the accessories are important as well. You know, so like I showed this, and obviously this isn't going to be something that you use in like a 105 decibel environment right. or whatever. But the thing that's cool about, do you guys use bone conduction? We do on the Trimble XR10 has bone okay. conduction built in. Gotcha. Yeah. So like we just buy these cheap kind of Amazon, you know, headset devices, and we do all the drop testing and stuff to make sure we can use it in a space that's, you know, classified or mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Um, but they have these that have boom mics on them too. Mm -hmm. And so what's cool about this is like, you can put them on, you put your hearing protection in yeah, and uh, it's just as good as like having a, 
you know, a headphone in your ear. But yeah. the, the thing that limits us and, and the reason I'm going down this whole rabbit hole right now is because we, uh, we use what's called hear fit testing. And so you can only use particular kinds of hearing protection that have been <laughs> determined to, you know, yeah. effectively fit in your ear. And it's to make sure that we're, you know, uh, limiting like exposure for OSHA and that kind hmm. of stuff. Hmm. So in that case though, like, you know, a lot of people would say, well, just use the headphones that come with the real wear in the box. Well, you can't do that because you can't hear fit test on that. And so you end up with a situation where like, hey, I need to be able to use my own earplugs and, you know, still be able to hear. And so that's why we use bone conduction is because you can stick it on the outside on the bridges of your temple and be able to wear your hearing protection, but also hear the person on the other end of the line. Now that device that you just put on your head, that's a Bluetooth device, right? Correct. So here's something that you got to think of as well. Another yep. kind of gotcha when you're talking about pairing a Bluetooth device with a head mounted device for <laughs> remote expert. I'll tell you, I learned this lesson the hard way, right? Is that mm -hmm. not every head mounted device that you could purchase to try and use for remote expert is going to work real well with Bluetooth connections for aftershocks the next kind of devices yep. i'll give you an example right so one of the devices that we use um has uh the ability to connect through bluetooth to hearing right but not mm -hmm. to speech so mm -hmm. i can take that synetics i compare it to the device and now i had a bluetooth connection to the uh, i got audio in portion mm -hmm. of the headset but right. the microphone the audio out does not work because there's only you can only do a connection for one or the other, not both oh, at wow. the same time. So then you have to do a USB-C external noise canceling mic. And it's it next thing you know, you look like, you know, Medusa running around with all this stuff hanging you're, off your you're head. You're Megatron with all the yeah, add-ons. There's a lot of like just little particular stuff. And I've gone around and around with these device manufacturers, accessory manufacturers, software manufacturers yeah. over the last several years about Here's, here's my use case. Here's what I'm trying to do. And a lot of times it's, well, we don't do that. Good luck. And it's like, yeah, just finding other people to, to work through some of this stuff with is tough. I'm glad, I'm glad we found each other, Dane. <laughs> I agree, Scott. I couldn't, agree I hope more. you always agree with that. Yeah, for sure. May not. So I guess with that said, is there anything else that you wanted to kind of cover on the remote expert you know, side of the house? I know yeah, you know, we've jumped around between yeah. a bunch of different topics. And I think the, the other thing to consider is I think um, I'm going to go out on a, a wild limb here. Go on so out there. Reel me back in. All right. But I think I think remote assist changes in the future, too, as uh, LIDAR becomes more efficient and our bandwidth speeds become better. What I mean by that is I think in the future, you know, you could be in your hall ends look around your room, scan the room, and then, you know, whoever that you're talking to actually can, you know, like pause, rotate like the 3D environment and see different things without having you physically like go and move your head. And so okay. you could have kind of streaming. Uh, 360? Of, of 360 streaming, but in LIDAR. So it's, you know, spatially accurate and all these things. Okay. So like, I think, I also think that it integrates with more things, right? So you might have uh, guided workflows, right? Where you mm -hmm. directly integrate into remote assist or remote, you know, expert. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually a good segue maybe into, you know, the next episode, which will be. Let's uh, do guided, guided workflows, workflows next. Yeah. Yep. 
So, but you're but, on a futuristic uh, rant. Go for it, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I just I think that there's a lot of opportunities for, you know, kind of what you said about, um, oh, it's just video, you know, calling, right? Mm-hmm. I think the future of remote assist is much more than that, and I think I just don't know that the sensor suite and the supporting technology has gotten to a degree where, um, you know, it's easy to use, and so I think. That easy to use thing is incredibly important in this space right now. You heard it here first at XR at work, folks. Futuristic <laughs> view of uh, predictions of remote expert. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I think remote expert is going to go right. I think mm-hmm. what's going to happen is I've explained this to someone today, and this is out on a limb as well, right? But mm-hmm. think about your phone for maybe at my age, maybe not at your age, but I remember when you used to have to download an app to get a compass app, right? For your phone. Right. Now yep. it's built in, right? Mm-hmm. And so whenever Apple and Samsung and these guys, the device manufacturers started building that in, think about mm-hmm. all the compass app development firms out there that went belly up, right? Because now it's yep. free built in the phone. I view remote expert as something that I think device manufacturers are gonna start to build into their devices that allow you to call device to device Mm-hmm. whatever the device is, laptop, handheld, head mount device, without using remote expert software. I'm looking forward to that day because I spent oh, a lot yeah, of money on remote expert sure. <laughs> platforms. But I think I think that's where a place where it could go in the future. That's my future prediction. No, so, so I agree with you. And I actually, I think we're saying a similar type of thing just from two different angles. Like I think that that becomes commonplace in all devices. And I think that the current manufacturers or, or uh, folks that are making remote expert you know, software will have to push into a further unknown, which I think includes spatial and other different things. And so, you know, as always, like it's gonna be kind of a spectrum, right? Like mm-hmm. do, you want the, do you want the free music app that comes on your phone or do you want yeah. the one with the equalizer and all the stuff right. that you can do? Right. And so, um, there'll still yeah, be a market for the more advanced products, right? Because they won't, for sure. They, out of the out of the box, they won't be with all the bells and whistles that someone right. can add in. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So cool. Well, um, I think I think that's all the time we spent a while here now. So I think we beat remote expert to death. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So uh, Scott, as always, I really appreciate your time. And, Absolutely. Uh, and look I look forward, forward to, to our check. to our next conversation. We'll yep. talk again. You guys, be sure to hit like and subscribe if you like this video. And uh, let us know if you have questions. Leave the comments. Uh, take a look at the show notes. We'll put some links in there. And check out all the other XR at Work podcast episodes that we have. Thanks again. Take care.